Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, are you there? Can you see me? Can you hear me? Hi. Hello, I hear you. And now I see you. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. I'm trying to block this door that's extremely bright. <laughs> <laughs> it works. You did a good job. It, it's good. totally blocked now. Perfect. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, just for one second, I'm doing a quick ad read. And then I'm cool. very excited to chat with you. Thank you for doing this. Of course. This week's episode of 39 Minute Conversations is not technically presented by the Entertainment Community Fund. As listeners of this show are aware, the Writers Guild of America is on strike. It is both an exciting and existentially terrifying time. We are striking for our futures, for the future of this industry, for writing to be more than just a gig job, for it to be a career again. So in this ad, uh, I'm not going to get into the myriad of reasons for the strike. Um, instead, what I want to focus on here in this fake ad read for a very real thing is the camaraderie that I have seen out there on the picket lines, which has been amazing. WGA, pre-WGA, DGA, SAG, IOTC, the Teamsters. It honestly feels like a movement, and I don't remember a time when every union was standing together like this. Other unions are honoring our picket lines. Showrunners are standing up to say they're not going to make their shows until the strike ends. Shout out to the Duffer Brothers. Other shows and movies are being shut down by our picket lines. And Obviously, we love movies and TV. It's a little weird to be cheering for shutting it down, but it is the most effective way to make studios feel it, bring them back to the table. But we do know that we and the studios aren't the only ones affected. There are a lot of jobs being impacted by the strike, and I don't just mean Mendocino Farms or Tender Greens. Crew members, writers' assistants, PAs, below-the-line people are losing the work that they rely on, and that's why this ad is for the Entertainment Community Fund. The Writers Guild is not asking for your donations. We have our own support system and loans for writers affected by this action. The Entertainment Community Fund is there to help workers across the industry who need financial help in tough times, including now. So if you can help, if you're looking for a way to help, consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Entertainment Community Fund. There'll be a link in the episode description and on social media, so please look for that. Just select film and television from the drop-down menu, and your money will go to the people who need it most right now. And hello, I'm Brian D. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones, but I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. This is the beginning of a new series in which I'll be sitting down with people who have been out on the picket line, standing in solidarity with the WGA. So if you're on the lines, you're interested in being a future guest on this pod, email 39minuteconversations at gmail.com. My first guest on this new, hopefully limited series is a writer and director. She's worked for years as a writer's assistant on a network drama, placed in the top 50 of the Nickel Fellowship, and has written and directed three award-winning short films. Please welcome Katie White. Thank you. Thank you, Katie White. Thank you for being here. I'm yelling at my dog for chewing stuff she's not supposed to off screen. So. Oh my God. <laughs> no, do what you have to do. That's the most important thing right now. Of course, right? How are um, you holding up? I'm I'm okay. If I'm honest, I'm tired. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been walking so much more than I'm used to walking. Um, yeah, that's probably good for me. How are you holding up? I'm the same. I think I've never felt more my age than I do with this. <laughs> like. I was like, oh, I am 40. Like, I can't keep doing this. And I also didn't realize, like, I knew I was 
intense. And like, I knew in like high school sports situations, I was not great at sports, but I was a great cheerleader on the side, like yelling. Sure. And I, because like I would yell at everybody else to yell. And now I realize that that is still who I am because mm -hmm. I get there. Writers, there's a tendency to have like, a lot of us are shy or, or awkward. And I realize that I have like no time for that out there. And I'm like, <laughs> just, I'm way too aggressive and I don't mm -hmm. know how to tone it down. So I'm trying, like the other day I was like, I have to walk to a different corner because I think I'm just pissing everybody off. Cause I'm just like, scream. Like, I don't know what's <laughs> happened to me. But I feel like I'm like back in high school, like just running a cheer on a sideline or something. But yeah, I just, it's, it's intense. And I feel like there's, I can find corners of picketing where I feel like people are, you know, really internalizing how hard everything is. And I can't mentally do that all the time. Mm, sure. so instead I'm like, no, let's yell at that car for not honking. And it's like, yeah, that's my direction. <laughs> that's so funny because that's basically what I've been doing. Like when you say, you know, writers are awkward. I, I put myself in that category. I'm, I feel a little socially awkward and quiet and shy sometimes, but that does not include yelling at cars coming at us. That does not include yeah. trying to get everybody to honk. Like, I like if you want me to chant, I'm not great at that. I don't love it. If you were going to talk in line, I'm I don't have much uh, stamina for that. But if yeah. it's yelling at cars to honk, I'll do that all damn day. That's my thing. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Like I figured out that I can get into the chants, but I'm like extremely bad at figuring out what we're saying the first time around. Mm -hmm. So my friend and I were standing there and we're both neurodivergent by like the last round of the chant, we finally got it right. And then it was over and we were like, son of a bitch. Like I just figured <laughs> out what the hell we're saying. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely, and it's an interesting vibe, you know, depending on where you're picketing, how mm -hmm. the energy is and mm -hmm. just, I've been unemployed for a year now. So emotionally mm -hmm. I've. I'm so spent, you know, yeah. so like everybody who's like, I just left a job. I'm like, yeah, no, welcome to my house. Like this has been my health for a year. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm like, financially it's not, I'm not taking a burden cause I was already in that. Um, mm -hmm. so I think that it just has a different feeling for me where like this, I feel like I've been like marching alone for a while. <laughs> it's nice to have a group, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I hear that. I, I, I'm in a similar boat. Like I'm more, obviously I'm more on the feature side than TV side. So, you know, I finished my last script, turned it in in like August or September and everything I've had since then has either been not working or working on spec. So it's been very much like, yeah, I've been I've been preparing for this. I've had, I left nothing to strike. I'm already poor. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I can I can make it because I don't have anything else I was doing for money. Any, you know, like other than like mm -hmm. little side gigs here and there, I was like, nothing else was helping. So it's not as like disruptive to my every day as for other people, but, sure. um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's wild. Uh, definitely mm -hmm. wild times. It's definitely wild times. I want, um, yeah, let's go ahead and get into normally I start here and then I do want to probably get more into some, some strike talk. This podcast kind of began as uh, I'm an introvert. I, especially after COVID, I've started to uh, hide inside a lot more. Um, less so now because I'm just outside screaming all the time. Uh, but that is what this podcast is born out of, out of just giving me something performative to do again from the comfort and safety of my home. So I want to ask you, how have these last few years changed you? Uh, if they have, what have you maybe learned about yourself? How is how is present Katie different than three or so years ago, Katie? Oh, geez. Um, well, I was at, a, I was a writer's assistant when we went into, you know, lockdown and mm -hmm. um, I was in a situation where I wasn't really sure if my 
situation was the norm or if I was maybe in an old school arena Mm -hmm. by like old school rules. And then once we went to lockdown, I kind of realized like, oh, a lot of the things that I was doing were just more of like busy work or just, it just felt like it was stuff that wasn't actually part of my job. Mm. And then I learned that, you know, having the freedom to kind of be on my own time, how important that was because I was working such insane hours as a writer's assistant and I was an older writer's assistant too. So I was like, oh, I, I can't bounce back like I did in my (laughs) twenties. And I think I just started to realize how much like my time mattered. And if I was going to work the hours I was working that I needed to be compensated in a way that made sense. And even during Mm -hmm. that, you know, there was the whole IATSE because I'm part of, you know, the writer's assistance guild, the 871, and I'm also Mm -hmm. in the writer's guild. So during that, I was like, yes, like let's strike because the hours the crew members work and like every aspect of that's so terrifying. Mm-hmm. And then as when I got hired, I was a high paid nanny when I got hired as a writer's assistant. And I was like, okay, this is the dream. I'm, I'm finally breaking in. And I was mm-hmm. making like 30 bucks under the table as a nanny an hour. And then they were like, well, we can hire you at 12. And I was like, I think that's illegal. Wow. Um, and then yeah. quickly the guild was like, no, 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 they have to hire you more. And I was like, thank God. And they said at 15. And I was like, I still don't know how to survive that. So I'm yeah. one of those people who I am so lucky that I have a family that was like, hey, we'll have to help you with your income while mm-hmm. you do this. But like, it shouldn't be that way. Mm-hmm. It, the stepping stone shouldn't be something where I literally have to ask parents. And I was like 37. I was like, hey, dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like I was 22 again, but like sure. I had to, and it kind of broke me to watch that. And I real, I think the three years... I left my job in July and I don't think I would have done that if it was for COVID, if it mm. wasn't for COVID. Like I left my job because I think those three years taught me my a lot about self-worth as cheesy as that sounds and mm-hmm. a lot about what I was willing to do and put up with treatment wise and what was worth walking away from me. Um, mm. And just, yeah. So I think I would not have quit that job if it wasn't for COVID kind of teaching me that I'm worth more than how I was being treated. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a lesson. And I think it's very true. And one of the things that we're really up against is that this career feels like it's becoming something that is impossible to break into unless you have some kind of comfort, like some kind of safety net, some kind of, because like, I'm also, I'm not from, you know, any kind of money to speak of, but I do have parents who are like, we can help you in places. And that has been, that is something that I'm very fortunate to have and not everybody has. And yeah, this is the kind of, like this, there are people who could, will never do this job if it keeps going like this because yeah. they don't have that safety net. And those are often the stories that we need the most. And it's funny because then I feel like, like I said to somebody once, I was like, the minute I get to any aspect of a peak in this climb, you know, I'm not just like throwing another ladder down. I'm just throwing a billion down. I'm building stairs so people don't have to use their upper arm strength. Like I just, I don't, there's so many gatekeepers and so many people that, and I think it's because mostly in television, like the rooms are getting so much smaller, everything's getting mm-hmm. smaller. So now there's this fear of employment. So there is nobody going like, Hey kid, like, let me help you out. Let me teach you this so that yeah. you can get the next step because they never know if they'll, if they'll see that step themselves. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it has put everybody. It's so interesting to watch people in a creative field, like be so terrified of employment because it's so hard to be creative with fear. Mm-hmm. And it's like such an interesting thing we've been dealing with. And I think it's what broke everybody was just saying like, we have no idea if we're gonna have employment. We have no idea if we can pay the bills, but then we're supposed to be out there creating worlds and these visions. And it's like, you can't, if you can't get out of your head, 
And I was really, I was really in July, I was like, I maybe I'm done with this industry. Hmm. I've just seen such a toxic side of it. And then in July, and it's a really long story. So I'm going to tell you just the tiniest abbreviation. Tell me all of it. We have, we have 39 minutes. Um, a cousin, when I quit my job, I was like, I'm doing great. This was an amazing decision. Mm-hmm. And then like three weeks later, I was like, or I'm just really drunk and sleeping till like noon. And there's a chance this is depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and a cousin of mine in Philadelphia is a nurse. And she sent me a text message and was like, can you uh, give me a call when you get up? And I was like, great. Somebody died. I was like, this is bad. I was sure. extremely hungover. And I sent her a text and she was like, Hey, do you have any connections to like AMC or better call Saul? And I was like, no. And she's like, Oh, like, do you know how to get in touch with them? And I was like, Oh, she's going to pitch them a show. This is awkward. Like, how do I, you know, yeah. being from my area, I get a lot of like, go to the always sunny guys and tell them this. And I'm like, no, it's not how it works. You know? Yeah. So I was nervous. And she was like, no, no, we have a patient that's, that's going home on hospice that she knew about. And she was like, and his, he's a huge better call Saul fan. Um, but he's going home and there's three episodes of the show left. Mm. And I was like, Oh, and she's like, well, Katie, he's not going to live to see them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what are you, what are you asking me to do? And she's like, I'm seeing right. if you can get the last three episodes. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> I was like, no, like I have no, I was like, does he want like a old photocopy picture of Mark Harmon. Cause I stole one of those from my show before I left. So like, I was like, I have that. <laughs> that I can do. Sure. Right. She's like, no, I don't think so. So I was like, no, there's no way of me doing this. And then I was like, you know, drunk and depressed and she's getting off the phone. And she was like, cause she said, she said, well, I said to them, um, I've got a cousin out in Hollywood. And I was like, no, no, mm-hmm. you don't. I was like, you have a cousin who just quit a writer's assistant job. Right. And she's like, I've seen your name on my television. She's like, so you're in Hollywood. And like, I don't look at it that way. Cause I sure. know my actual ranking. And she was like, oh, it's a shame you can't pull it off. But like, isn't it cool that his last wish is just to know how this ends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. I was like, so now I got to actually try this. So I called my reps and they were, and I'm like a mess. And they're all like, I don't know how you're going to pull this off. And I went to Twitter and I was like, Mayday, does anybody know how to get in touch with these people? I was like, this is a wild request. And within 48 hours, like the Better Call Saul team came together and we're like, okay, we have to make this happen for this guy. Oh, wow. And just come out of a situation where I felt like humanity was really sucked out of the experience. And then seeing that like, that was their experience was like mm-hmm. just being these, people that really were going to push for somebody, for some stranger who they just wanted to, to help. And like the fa- I got them in touch with the family and they took it from there and they were just beautiful and amazing. And, mm. and it was just this thing where it was like, oh shit, like there are people in this industry who still respect the art of it. Cause even going into this, in this strike, it's like, we're fighting people who just look at people as minions and as workers. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're not looking at people as artists. And of the fact that like, when somebody's passing away, his last wish was to see how a show ended. Yeah. Like that's what you're creating. Like there's people walk around in t-shirts with Scarface on it. You know, everybody quotes different movies and it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it alters people's lives. People have the same favorite movie. They connect over that. Like, I think I, I had lost sight of that in July mm-hmm. and then the better call Saul team without even knowing it. Cause I was so far removed from this. I just kind of connected the two people, but like they completely reinvigorated the fact that like oh shit like this is something incredible that we're doing and you can do it with like kindness and like and in a healthy way and I was like oh mm-hmm. that's that's the point to this but I feel like if it hadn't have been that for that situation I probably would have been like okay what's my backup mm-hmm. which I don't really have one so, <laughs> so that would have been really a real tough moment but um sure. but yeah like I just think it's like seeing those moments of people like even when you see 
bigger names on the picket line and you're like, oh, and they're not there. Cause of course, you know, everybody's there. There's a lot of photo ops, but when you realize people are not there, they're like sitting there for four hours with you wandering back and forth across the street mm-hmm. in the rain because LA hates us right now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, like they're actually here because they believe in this. And it's like, this is a nice reminder that there's a lot of beauty still in this industry and still in the people in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we're fighting for something for all the artists, which is, I'm rambling. <laughs> no, you're doing, this is great. This is, no, this is fantastic. I agree with you a hundred percent. Like seeing, it is easy to think of this, like the longer you're in it to like start thinking of it as just a business and thinking yeah. about it in terms of, well, what's my next job? What's my next step? But that's not why any of us got into this. We didn't, yeah. if we wanted to get into this to a business to make money, there are a lot easier ones to deal right. to be in. Um, and there, there is, you know, humanity and beauty in, in that story that you told and just in, in what artists in this field try to create. And one of the tragic things sort of about Hollywood, and it's probably been true since the beginning, is that, you know, we're taking this art form and putting it through a business model, which is, not great. Um, I mean, some beautiful stuff has come out of that, but it is weird to think how many people commodify that what we do and what everybody in this industry does and just think how they can call it content and get as much money out of it as they can. Yeah. And, that, you know, we're not putting our hearts into something just to, you know, so somebody can binge it for six hours and then we don't get paid, you know, yeah. hardly at all. It's crazy. It's so interesting too. If I could take like, the amount of, if I could take all the insecurity and like fear that nobody will like them that writers have, which we all have. Like when you send out a project, it's like, Jesus, just please like this. Like, like, yeah. like me. If I could give that to all of the richest execs, mm-hmm. who don't see, like I'm so shocked by these mega millionaires who don't give a shit if people care, like like them at all. Yeah. I'm like, could you not care a tiny bit? Like, <laughs> It's, they're like, I'm, I would rather build like my own spaceship and go to space. It's like, no, stop. You could literally save the world and you're yeah. choosing not to. Like, it's fascinating to me that that's, it's like they never understood that the villain is never the hero. And I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what that is. Like, it's yeah. fasc- it's like just fascinating to me to watch them go like, no, no, I need more. I need more. It's like, what do you, why? Nobody likes you. Like, your whole life, everybody hates you. Yeah, I don't know when. Yeah, I would love it if they just had just, like you said, just uh, just a little bit of the self-consciousness we have about everything all the time. Right? Just a little bit. <laughs> I have it a doesn't theory. Seem to, yeah. yeah, please, I'm what's your theory? Like, I'm like, I would make an amazing billionaire because mm-hmm. I really just want people to like me. Sure. Me I really, I don't need a lot. I'm terrified of space. Like I never <laughs> want to go there. It scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and I just want everybody else to be really happy. Like that I get, I'm like get geeked out when I get to give somebody like the perfect present. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you need a house? Sweet, let's build you one. Like, I would be like, oh, you're hungry. Let's just feed you. Like, I'm like this, we should just crowdfund this because I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm cool. I also don't need a lot of attention. Like even being on camera with people scares the shit out of me. So I'm like, you know what? Just there, like take it. I don't need palaces and all this bullshit. It's like, it's just so wild how it's so rare to find somebody with money. Who's not like, how can I fuck everybody over? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's why they have all the money, but still it's like, I don't know. Yeah. There's that line about presidents that I think is true about billionaires it's like the uh the people who want it the most are the people who probably shouldn't get it and that seems to be the case yeah it's so interesting and like they all have I always feel bad because I'm like they've got kids they've, they've got lots of them and 
can't imagine what that at some point they're going to have, somebody's going to have the black sheep who has morals and that's gotta be a rough life. <laughs> <laughs> I pray they all have a kid like that. You know, um, <laughs> um, you've been out of there on the picket lines. You said yeah. the energy has been good. Where have you, where have you been picketing and what's the energy uh, been like at that, at your location? I've been picketing all out in the Valley so far. Um, I plan to go West at some point. Um, I'm one of those people where I'm like, if I don't know, parking a parking situation i'm like if i can't google it 10 times before i go someplace i'm never going so yeah. i still have to figure out the the west side a little bit but um the valley's been great the wb uh somebody joked that it's like a like a pep rally and it is it's like mm -hmm. it's got a great really hopeful energy that i liked i felt like universal was really great it's huge and there's a billion gates so you feel like you're a little bit more on an island there i felt mm -hmm. like um, sure you know, just because you're so spread out that you're like, are we making a movement? Um, and then I, I'm going to do Radford and I did Disney and Disney's just beautiful. Like I was just waiting to see a horse because you're at like horse country. <laughs> we walk like we pick it on horses. Um, but it is like, you know, it's funny. Like it's just a lot of introverts walking in circles, trying to get something through. We're very similar about the parking stuff. Like I, I want to check out other lots. But so far, I've only been going to Netflix because I can walk to it. Like I'm close. I live close enough so I can walk. Oh. So I'm like, forget anywhere else right now. Yeah. No, a few years ago, right before COVID hit, I was in the best shape of my life. And the other day I was talking to a friend about it. And they were like, why do you think that is? And I was like, oh, because there was a gym on the corner from my apartment. And they were like, mm -hmm. well, can't you find a gym? I was like, not that's on the corner. Like I walked out. I walked across the street and I was at the gym. Mm -hmm. like, so you won't get in your car. I was like, well, no, I'm not going to get my car. Like, are you, no, you know, that's like, crazy. What are you talking about? Go, like it was just, it almost like was shameful if I didn't go there because it was right there. Yeah. And now I'm around the corner from like restaurants and bars. So instead I walk there <laughs> and it's not doing the same thing. But yeah, I am. I am just a, I want to know where to park and I want to know where the bathroom is. And I want to. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the thing. And Universal just got bathrooms. So the first day we showed up, we were like, okay, really fast with the bathroom. She's like, and I was like, oh, you just took the biggest breath to explain where the bathroom is. This is a hike. I was like, I'm <laughs> way too old for that shit. But it's just, it's been um, interesting. Cause I just want to know, you know, what the traffic's going to be like. Will I get home in a reasonable time? Cause at this point, my dog walker makes so much more than I do. <laughs> So like, I need to, will I be out long enough that I need to pay somebody to take care of my pets is mm -hmm. my, my issue lately. But yeah, no, I'm, and I think most writers are that way where we're such peculiar, like peculiar. I can't even say that word today. Peculiar. It's a tough word. Peculiar. Think, okay. So peculiar. you're going to be the one that says that. Um, but we're just weird. We're fucking weirdos. And I don't, there's the littlest thing will make me ragingly like anxiety, like just anxiety mm -hmm. right in. And I'm like, Oh, gotta go home. <laughs> I decided that random stranger doesn't like me. I have to leave. And it's like for no reason. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go too far from home. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I'm exactly the same way. Um, you are, we're both East coast people originally. Um, I I'm from West Virginia. Okay. So we're, we're neighbors. Um, yeah. so when you are explaining maybe to people back home, what's going on in Hollywood right now, in particular, the family to friends, are they getting it? How are you explaining it? Like, how's, how's that going? Um, it's, it's tough. My mother is extremely compassionate about it and she, you know, doesn't really understand it, but is like pro every aspect of it. My dad, the same way. Um, and I don't think anybody else realizes it's happening. <laughs> I feel like every, you know, person I went to high school did like the 3.5 kids and that life where they're like, 
I'll be like, oh, it's really tough out here. And they're like, what do you, I'm so, I've got like, you know, I'm going to get so-and-so to soccer. What are you talking about? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> but then it's going to be, you know, a few months from now, it's going to be like, well, where's my show? I wanted mm-hmm. to see this and then it'll be a problem. Um, and I say that, but I legitimately speak to two people I went to school with. Fair enough. I'm sure. like a ghost in that town. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I kind of grew up here, but I write a lot about my experiences growing up here. So I don't really ever want to go back. <laughs> I really, probably to steer clear. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, oh, yeah. Now let's get into, let's start talking about you. Uh, let's get to know you. Um, so when growing up in Philadelphia, when did you realize that you wanted to be a writer director? Was there a show or movie that woke you up in that way? Or like, when did that kind of wake up in you? Well, I'm at, I, so I'm from South Jersey. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Right I thought you were from Philly. Yeah. Right. Well, I was raised, I feel like my mom's always said that we're from a suburb of Philadelphia because it sounds like it's better than New Jersey. I just know um, you're an Eagles from, fan, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. from like 15 minutes over the bridge. And I'm from a town that had like all the sports players live there because it was a quiet little town over the bridge. from the, So like we grew up with all the players, which was amazing and extremely obnoxious now that I say it out loud. But, <laughs> uh, but no, like I, I own it. I was raised with like a silver spoon shoved up my ass. Um and uh, it was definitely made for an interesting upbringing, but um, I always wanted to write and I am neurodivergent and have severe dyslexia. So mm-hmm. growing up, everybody was kind of like, she's never going to be able to do this. She can't merely read, like she can't do any of this stuff. And my mom was just like, well, she's not going to be an editor, but she can be a writer because she can tell a story. So my mom mm-hmm. kind of fought for it forever. And I wrote my, you know, my first, I wrote my first like play in like middle school. And then I wrote a screenplay in high school and I was just always writing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my poor mom would have to sit there and edit everything. It was back when we had like a word processor too. So she'd have to, just such a pain in the ass for her. (laughs) And then like, thank God for word and that little red line that like that line's a savior. And that's kind of, you know, what launched me into being able to be a writer. Um, I didn't realize I wanted to be a film, like a director and a filmmaker until I actually went and started looking at film schools and until people would be like, oh, can I make your short film into a movie? And I'd be like, sure. Then I go, oh, you're not doing it right. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, like, is that something I wanted to do? Um, and I was terrified of saying it. Mm-hmm. And still, like, it's funny, like, I'll turn down things and I'll go, why did you turn that down? It's like, in my head, it's like, oh, you're not prepared to do that. And it's like, mm. like, I just need the confidence, no offense, but of a white guy for like an hour. Offense just- taken. Offense <laughs> taken. Wow. <laughs> No, I get it. <laughs> We're like, very confident and and warrantedly so. Because it's interesting how like people are like, well, you have, you're like you're overqualified for this. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I'm not. I suck. And then some guys like, I'll give it a try. I'm like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? I'm like, like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just so much more like until I'm overly prepared, I'm never gonna try. Sure. And I'm trying really hard at forty to be like, maybe it's time to get over that shit. <laughs> I love that because um, I you have. I, I have been hesitant. I want to also like get into directing. I've talked to my yeah. reps about how to do it. And, you know, they recommend starting with short films and that kind of thing, which I haven't really done, but that's something that you have, you've, you've written and yeah. directed three to this point. I think so. And I did a couple like pe- of people's like reels and mm-hmm. like people had like trailers and stuff that we shot for different things, but three that went to like festivals and stuff and like tiny little festival runs, but it was a blast. That's awesome. Tell like, so what, if you were talking to somebody, uh, let's call him Brian, who was like looking to direct, start directing his own shorts. Like what, what, what advice, what have you learned in the process of making these? Um, my first short we made for a thousand dollars from top to bottom. And Mm -hmm. yes, that was like 10 years ago, but I would say it's the equivalent to probably like 
3000 tops, 4,000 a day. Mm-hmm. And that's like entry fees, everything. And as much as I, res- I respect everybody going out there making it, whenever somebody sends me a GoFundMe and they're like, I'm raising $60,000 for my short. It's my first thing I've ever shot. I'm like, mm-hmm. just go out there with a couple grand and just shoot something. And, you know, also I've never had such a great experience. We did it. And I think it was four days. It was like three or four days. But it was like just Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever anybody's free. And we just befriended, I befriended people who were like my husband's in a crew. They're going to be off. They can help you. And I was just an amazing experience. But somebody said to me, be the least experienced person on your set. Mm. And like, remember that it's collaboration. And that note has helped me through everything to the point where when I got into editing on an episode, there was a scene that I was like, hey, that's really overwritten. Like, can we cut down some of the dialogue? And the editor who I loved to death was like, hey, like, don't let your, you know anybody else in the writer's room hear you say that about like their work. And I was like, no, no, I wrote that. I was like, and, <laughs> and now that I hear it out loud, it's ridiculous. Like, can we, can we trim it down? And he kind of laughed and he was like, that's very rare that a writer ever says that. And he was like, I think that you could do, like, you could be a showrunner one day, which was the nicest compliment, but he was like- That's very nice. Because, he was like, but just because you don't, you don't look at it as like, this is my- every word I put down, every movement I made. So when I got on set and somebody would go, I did this, what I wouldn't tell you, they'd go like, well, hey, just so you know, if we did this, this, and this with this light, it'd be cool. And they'd show it to me. And like, I'd say eight times out of 10, I was like, that's amazing. I never knew we could do that because I'm brand new here. Mm-hmm. Or like twice, I'd be like, oh, hey, it doesn't work for me. They'd be like, cool, sweet. But it was like, just allowing people to bring what they do into this was huge and changed every aspect of of how people even performed on set because they felt like they had a say in stuff, which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're in their field for a reason because they're talented. So it was like having a shot that I wanted that looked one way and having the DP go like, hey, just, you know, we can do that. It's going to take us half the day. It's not going to look the way you're dreaming. It's going to look mm-hmm. and you're going to be upset. Or we can get these seven shots instead of that one. And yeah, it's not how you imagine it, but you also don't have $30,000. So like, yeah. and like, so I'm like, okay, I get it. And, you know, stepping back, and then we were also really smart about the film festivals we went to. We went to the mid, I was like, this is not a sunset short, like a Sundance short. Like this is mm-hmm. a little thing. So we found like the medium level festivals that had um, events so that you mm-hmm. could attend it so that we could network. And I was like, that's going to be the most important thing is that we network here. Like my third short we did is this like just goofy ass comedy <laughs> where like they're at a party and the apocalypse happens outside of the they're like in a closet making out and the apocalypse happens on the other side of the door it's just a goofy little bloody comedy and we were like okay it's not going to do well in the mainstream festivals but it'll do well in horror festivals because it's it's got a horror aspect but it's funny enough that it'll cut through when they're programming they're going to need a some sort of relief and it got a palate cleanser yeah yeah and it got in so many places because people are like oh we needed that like laugh in the middle of all these heavy things so it's just being really kind of smart about it and mm-hmm. working with people that you, because I've also worked on people's sets and I've gotten there and I'm like, oh, you put that director hat on and you're scared to admit that you might not know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> one of the, I would say one of my strongest qualities is I show up and I'm like, here are all of my flaws. <laughs> people are like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? So like I tend to lead with like, hey, I'm not sure I'm seeing this right. Can you guys all tell me how you're seeing it? And then we'll see if we're on the same page. Like, like I love the collaborative aspect of this and I love being on set and the collaborative aspect. And I Mm -hmm. think that at the minute you get a little too cocky for that or too nervous for that, which I think is more 
the problem, I think that that's when you shoot yourself in the foot because mm. nobody wants to waste their time and make something that sucks. So it's just respecting that, like they might have an opinion that might help you a lot is really great. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I've only been a part of like what, like making one thing that I wrote, like in terms of a web series and like, yeah, collaborate. It was like a lot of improvisers and collaboration is sort of, yeah, I don't know how anybody can be such a dominant personality on set of like, I know exactly what I'm doing. This is how we're doing. It has to be exactly this. Like, I don't, I think the best ideas can come from anywhere. And uh, I think that's cool that you embrace that. and, And that's the way you try to direct. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was one of the first lessons I was told and it really stuck that. And I was also told, <laughs> which I would learn was really important. Um, I was working with a producer years ago, this guy, Todd Berger. And um, I got so excited because we had a big name reading a script and he was like, hey, ce- maybe celebrate when you're like at the screening of it. And I, and I still refuse to do that, but I'm aware yeah. of it. Like I'm aware of it though. So I go... So I've now, instead of celebrating like, oh, they're reading my script, it's going to happen. I go, oh, I'm celebrating that this person's reading my work. Yeah. Because we had like, we had this feature going forward and the actor we were using in it, this guy, Alex Bay, who's amazing. He was like, hey, I think I can get Gene Smart to be in this. Mm-hmm. We went to Gene and we went to Casa Vega in the Valley and sat down and had lunch. And she was like, I will be in this. And it was, I was like, my brain was about to explode. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks later, all the money fell apart. One of the producers was this con artist. The other one shockingly passed away tragically. And I was like, mm. what the fuck is happening? Yeah. And we've never gotten it off the ground, but it's that little picture right there is of me, Gene Smart and Alex at lunch mm-hmm. the day that she was like, I'm going to make this because I had to realize that like, there were going to be those great moments. And yes, I'm going to celebrate that she wanted to be in it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not going to celebrate that it's a done deal. This is going to happen because you know, there's yeah. different levels of celebration. And I would agree with that. Cause yeah. I think, I think if you don't celebrate your wins along the way, you're going to drive yourself crazy, but yep. you also can't be like, well, this is a guarantee now. Like, exactly. I, and I've even gotten to the point where I'm celebrating, like, I can't believe this level of actor read my script and said, no, this is amazing. That's what we just did. I have a script that's out and we got a rejection. It was because it's like not what they're looking for, but they really liked it. We were like, fuck yeah, they don't want to make our movie, but they liked it. We were like, that's a shit. But I swear, <laughs> like, and I tell everybody this, like whenever anybody's like, do you have any advice? I'm like, listen, I shouldn't give anybody advice because I can barely be a person. But <laughs> the only advice I ever give is like, I'm an amazing cockroach. Mm-hmm. The world can crumble around me. I will cry for a day. And then I go, well, guess I got to keep going. And the next day I, I, you know, just pull out and keep going. And I'm like, okay, but that's, I can live off very little. I show up a lot, even when people probably don't care if I'm there, but I show <laughs> up to be like, do you need help? Can I be a part of this? Like, mm-hmm. and even if it's just like reaching out to somebody online and being like, Hey, like, do you want to swap something? Do you want to do this? Like, I just feel like, I feel like you just have to survive out here. Mm-hmm. To make it, I see talented people go home every day. I'm like, where are you going? And they're like, I didn't make it in six months. I'm like, God, if, if it's six years, I'll listen to that complaint. But if it's six months and it's six years, I'm gonna be like, so what? But like, yeah. I feel like it's that terrible fucking saying of like, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Cause if the journey sucks, it's hard. But like, <laughs> I think the journey just sucks sometimes. I think you're right. I think it does. And it is that thing of, I've, I've talked about this with a bunch of writers, like it is the people who succeed are not always the most talented ones. It's the ones who can hear no the most times and keep going. That's a huge part of this. Yeah. Like I just, I learned early on that I bounce off pavement really well where I'm just like, all right, 
guess that sucks. Like, and I think that being like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when you build yourself up and something doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to be, to like laugh at it and be embarrassed is huge because I think that most people leave because I think embarrassment is such an interesting thing in this industry because people make dumb decisions because of it. They leave because of it. They, you know, get angry on sets or do something because of it, because they're not okay with just saying like, ah, that, that hurt. That sucked a little bit. And like, I think the most amazing thing you can do in this industry is go like, well, that sucked. (laughs) And like, let people know that that sucked. Cause then we all, we all know that feeling. We all understand how that feels. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're all in this together. You know, we're, we're not going to get anywhere without each other in this. Cause we all need people to watch our shit. We need people to collaborate with and, and I'm excited for you. I want you to make that short. I, it eventually will happen. I've been so focused on, you know, writing the next feature and like, well, once I get yeah. paid for this next one, then I'll have enough money to write this short. And it's just, you get right. caught in that cycle of yeah. like, eventually I'll get to one for me, but yeah. it just doesn't all, you don't always get there. You kind of have to make, you know, assume that's not going to happen and figure it out anyway. Like, yeah. The other thing too is, and this is going to sound so such a dick thing to say, but People will make it like their identity that they're like that this short film and they're going to make it like a six month, like I got to live, like eat, breathe this shit. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Eat on the weekends, do your day job during the week, you know, save up for like a month and then do it for a couple grand and then to see what you got. Yeah. You know, let yourself play with something. Cause if you had given me $50,000 to make my first film, I would have shit myself because I'd be like, if I, if this isn't what I need it to be, Mm -hmm. there was $50,000, but it was a grand. I could lose a thousand dollars and pay people back for whatever they lent me, you know, and be like, okay, I messed that up, but mm-hmm. I tried it. But I look at people going like, I'm like, oh, and like, I know some people knock it out of the park and I'm in awe, but I'm like, it's so much pressure to give yourself. And then you do what you're doing where it's like, okay, no, if I get this, I'll do it. If I get this, I'll do it. It's like, because it's this huge thing. And it's like, sure. it's like if you're going to become like a sailor, do you go like, well, I'm going to, I know nothing about sailing. So this is why I'm going down this direction. <laughs> Keep doing it. Keep going. <laughs> Do you buy like a massive yacht or you buy a little tiny, like buy a little boat to start out with? <laughs> Big ass. I want to use the word schooner and I don't know what it means, but I'm just it's a type it. of boat. I think, I think you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's funny. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Give yourself the width to fuck around and fuck up and not feel like the world's going to end if you do, because mm. I mean, like I have a short that I'm like, please don't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, Okay. All right. Wasn't the right group of people. We didn't have the right things going. Wasn't really one of those moments that were clicked. And then I've got others where I'm like, we had so much fun. We got something goofy and fun out of it that we're really proud of because it was just great and met amazing people, learned a lot. And that's kind of all that mattered. I think that's good advice for me and for everybody listening. Um, Katie, we have less than a minute left. So I know this is going by way too fast. So before we run out of time, where can people follow you? Is there anything that you want to plug? Fuck, I'm so bad at that. I don't even know my Twitter handle. Um, She's on Twitter. It'll be in the it'll be in the episode description. Yeah, I don't know it because it was just what Twitter gave me, and they're like, "Does this work?" And I was like, "Sure." Um, I have nothing to plug other than support the writers. I love it. Support the writers, Katie. Yeah. What do you think happens after we die? Um, that bike in the back is gonna tell me. I don't know what the hell's happening behind you in this. Oh, that's just an, that's just an exercise bike that Jesus sits um, in the after, corner. After we die, I hope it's just dogs. It's one of the puppies galore that we turn into dogs or that we just get to hang out with dogs. Like if I, if I go to whatever the hell happens after this, like, just don't let me, I don't want to repeat this. I'm not up for this. (laughs) Your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39 minute conversations hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. 
Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.